What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Double Feature Versus. I am Anthony. I am Brad. Yup, in this one, we're gonna kick it a bit old school. We're gonna uh we're gonna take a classic, not a classic uh trope of an episode, but we're gonna do a, a WTF episode. Uh basically take t- two films that are pretty unique and crazy in their um uh creations and uh pit them up against one another, man. So uh I wanna ask you do so so with either of these films, you know, today we're doing 1996 The Stupids uh versus 2006 Southland Tales. Have you seen either of these before? Um I have not. I've seen scenes from The Stupids just because this one is John Landis uh who mm-hmm. has made a lot of the movies I love. So I, I've okay. seen clips of this one, but I've never actually seen it straight out. Uh, Southland Tale, this is the first time I've ever even bothered to look at this one because I had heard of it, but I had never sat down and or even watched clips or anything about it. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Southland Tales, I've seen before. The Stupids, it's kind of like I've seen previews of it. I remember on VHS tapes, they were kind of short preview, preview of it before a movie, but I never mm-hmm. actually watched it um yeah man let's just uh let's just get right into this man uh you want to start off with the stupids i i will start off with the stupids uh mostly because i i wouldn't know where to go with southland tale <laughs> so i would definitely take the reins on the stupids right right so uh, the stupids is a movie by John Landis from 1996 that follows the story of a family called the Stupids. Uh, the movie starts off very uh, easily with uh, the man of the household. I'm going to have to look up the names of all of them because I remember their last names, but Stanley Stupid right, right. Uh, <laughs> is on a conspiracy to figure out who's stealing their trash every week. Because they leave their trash out of the street and then mysteriously the next day it's gone. So he's trying to figure out the conspiracy of why it keeps disappearing. Mm-hmm. So he's doing that. Uh, the kids, meanwhile, uh, find out that his their father is missing. So the kids, Buster and Petunia Stupid... Uh, decide to go looking for their father and they in doing so they leave a note saying you know they have gone to the police because they find think that their uh, father has been kidnapped for their mother which is a note that just says police kidnapped your children right and, right because when the, when the son is writing a note he's we think he's writing down every word his, his uh, sister is saying but he's just t- taking out key words like the police right. kidnapped your ch- your children signed your right. children but right, he right. missed out signs so he just put police kidnapped your children so of course the mother joan stupid finds this and decides to that the police you know for some reason have kidnapped her kids so they're against them for some reason and the movie just snowballs from there with the plots kind of intersecting and different things happening. So Stanley ends up getting in on this actual conspiracy of like a weapons dealer selling in the junkyard uh, where the people that are doing this think that he's some kind of spy for the CIA or something or some kind of elite force that uh, they need to stop because he knows too much when in reality he still thinks that they're just people that are stealing garbage. So... Look, man... (laughs) 
the way this film starts off, I just love how it takes this premise and it doesn't let go with it. No, like like these these guys, these people really are stupid. But it's funny because every kind of dangerous situation they find themselves in, like their stupidity kind of saves them in a way. Yes. So this is classic slapstick. This is mm-hmm. this is pure slapstick at its finest. Um, it is. I, I don't think it, it's going to be any mystery here that I absolutely love this movie. It it manages. I kind of knew hit... you would though. Oh, I kind of yeah. knew you would. Th- this one's right up my alley for like. I love slapstick. I love stupid slapstick. I, it's always going to be something I love. You know, Three Stooges, I could watch that on repeat day in and day out and I'd be the happiest person on earth. <laughs> you know, like in this, this falls right into that category. So I, I, I love how, um, again, the one liners in this film are hilarious. I love how when he pulls out his notepad, uh, the notepad says, uh, uh, number one, go to number two, number two, scratch this off. Oh, no. Number, number one is, uh, what was it? Uh, check mark <laughs> so he writes right, a right. check mark number two scratch off something on the list and he goes oh well i'm not gonna get that to that today so he scratches it off and number three <laughs> was uh say well that's kind of strange but i guess it is what it is something like that so no, he, he just, says that he says that's kind of kind of kind of pointless but whatever oh yeah that that's kind of say that's kind of pointless but whatever so as he's putting away his notebook he's like well that's kind of pointless but whatever and the best part <laughs> is he doesn't even like check or cross that one off the list either as if that's still on his list to do later <laughs> dude i um you know what i don't there's some film there's some kind of stuff i like tom ronald in and some stuff i don't this role is just perfect for him because he just has the perfect role of a just a, a clueless guy. Yes. That's just a, a well-to-do, normal, everyday guy that's just clueless. Like um when he when he's when he's there at the weapons meeting with um uh the corrupt uh colonel who's trying to sell um illegal weapons arms to, you know, like different um people of different nations. They they hold they hold a binoculars on him. And he's trying to like I don't know, he, he's messing around oh, with it was like, like the real... inner tire uh or the inner like uh wheel of a tire and he's just messing around with it like the tubing for it right and they're like we gotta watch out for this guy he looks dangerous yeah he, and, he's uh, playing a role somewhere we don't know who he's with but you, you can tell he's well trained I, I love how the multiple i love how the multiple attempts they make on this guy's life fail miserably every oh, yeah. time there's the one guy at the gas station i think um he he wets himself with with the gas station water hose, and then he does the air thing. And there was oh, a guy yeah. that's, that was about to cut him, and then he he was air down. He put the air pump on the guy, and the poison went in the guy's face or something. Oh no, he he put doused the rag in poison, and then it ended up getting like pushed into his mouth as he was going to, you know, strangle him right. with it. Yeah, gotcha. Um, then there was the guy that put the uh, there was somebody that put a bomb on his car and he uh, he saw a bee, which led to another great pun um, from earlier on when they um, when the mom and the kids are reunited and they're in the newspaper. They're in they're in. Um, yeah, it's a newspaper. No, it is. Well, I want to know what kind of what would you call it? Like the newspaper headquarters. Um, um, it would basically be like the newsroom, the newsroom. And they, they looked at something on the computer after they made all the uh computers malfunction drive b read error no drive b fatal error and then uh, she said uh 
Yeah. Fatal error drive B. And then she told her husband, like, you need to watch out for drive B. What is that? We don't know. But if you come across it, it could be a fatal error. Uh, and it should be noted that they caused the error by trying to put like a photograph inside of a disk drive, which was drive B. So <laughs> what they did is they literally caused drive B to crash. And that's what the error on the screen was, was fatal error on drive B. Look, man, on top of that, and this this is the one scene I believe really makes this film deserve its WTF rating. They cut to a scene Wait, after the after the paper is printed oh, yeah. and it, it goes from like a alien pilots picked up by HBO, it goes to a two alien pilots pick their nose and it has Stanley Stupid as I think the author of the of the article. I love how it gets sent to these two aliens in space. Yeah. Like, yeah, this like newspaper, this- it's a print article, too. It's not even like it's a digital thing. It's a print right. article that's now printed in space somehow. And uh, at some point, the two aliens, they're driving, and one is picking his nose, and then he looks at the article, and he just gets angry. And you don't know what he's saying, but you know he's saying, we need to catch this Stanley Stupid guy. Yeah. Yeah, oh, they're man, mimicking, like, great. the uh, slice the throat kind of thing. Like, we got to kill this guy. He He knows too right. much, or he's mocking us, or something like that. And it, it's great. Um, yeah, I completely forgot about that scene because that ends up coming in at the end for no purpose at all, too. <laughs> Dude, reason number uh, seven or eight on why this is on the list. Um, I, I love this part, man. When we go into Stanley Stupid's past of working as a mailman. Oh, yeah. And, uh, he talked. Is she uh she see uh, the the mother is telling her uh, her kids about how Joan Stupid is telling her kids about their father's past, about he used to, how he used to work for the government, and so one day he's working in the office. Well, let's talk about him on the day to day. He would take the mail, look for any place that had the numbers of like where your address starts five four seven or whatever, mm-hmm. whether it be a sewer, a gutter, or or a uh, wood chipper, and he would just throw the mail in. Thinking that's oh, where he would put it. The other great joke, it's incredibly racist, but god damn it had me rolling, was uh, when he passes by like the Asian kids and he goes, oh, finally. And he pulls out this letter that just has a bunch of Chinese written on it. And he goes, here you go, right. and then walks away. And they look so confused. <laughs> like so, They have no idea what's going on. Right. And uh, I love like, when he goes, when he goes, when he's at work, and he's putting all the mail in um, different envelopes. And he keeps seeing the same thing, return to sender. He goes to his boss and says, now, listen, I, I have a theory here. This sender guy might be taking everyone's mail. Yeah. And you just see a cut scene of the boss's face looking like just just giving him like a like a like a like a like a blank stare. And as he says, your father was then fired. We don't even know why. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I love this movie, dude. I love, I love how they even had like a fake thing for like what he pictures the return to sender or who sender Christopher is. Lee. Christopher Lee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, th- there's so much greatness about this movie. Um, even going back to like the gas station scene that you mentioned earlier, there's one line or there's a one liner that's great of, you know, uh, there was an assassination attempt on him. And part of that was the person shot a hole in the gas tank and it caused right. the gas to run out. So when he pulls up to the gas station, uh, you know, the attendant goes, you know, there's a hole in your gas tank. And Stanley just goes, yeah, that's how you get the gas in there. <laughs> 
and it oh, he, he's so confident in it too and it's so just it, it's i oh, love man. this movie this is such a great one uh this is what got me man the frankie Faison scene bro when they're in the um they're, they're in the uh the science museum and they're in the uh the planetarium uh, the planetarium yes and they see all the stars like are we in heaven and this uh janitor come by comes by and his name is lloyd they say oh we've been waiting to meet because they think he's god mm-hmm. they'd be like oh we've been waiting to meet you and uh we've been, like like uh we've been waiting to meet you lord it's lloyd we've been saying it wrong this whole yeah. time <laughs> And I love how he's just a nice guy. Oh, yeah. He doesn't even, he doesn't even like, he doesn't, I don't think he thinks anything's wrong with these people, but he's just being nice to them. He's like, oh, you guys seem like nice people. And then I like how the last thing he says is like, please, please tell people to not leave gum on the floor and please uh, remind them to pick up their gum. I like how in the end, when Stanley is kind of like captured by the military people, somebody just throws gum on the floor. He says, in the name of the Lord, yeah, <laughs> he just like, <laughs> he just like breaks and escapes. Well, the best part is this all happens in a museum, and while this is going on, uh, Stanley is with Petunia, so Joan is off with Buster, um, mm-hmm. who they're going through like the dinosaur exhibit because they think that they went into a time machine, which was just an elevator that led them to like a prehistoric floor of the museum. Right. So this entire thing is they come out and everything. So did you get anywhere? Well, we in the last 20 minutes, we died, met God, and then he brought us back to life. How about you? We went back in time. Buster went insane with power. And then we ended up back here. <laughs> and he goes, Buster. Sorry, Dad. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> oh, man. That, that, that's funny, man. Um, another thing is... Uh, Oh, dude, do you know how much I'm my own grandpa got stuck in my head? That song is great. Um, it is. I, I love that song. And it, oh, I, I actually had to look it up to see if this was like the origin of that song. Because I remember hearing that song before. And Really? I never heard that song before. Yeah, well, it's the song that Futurama references with the whole episode of, you know, Fry going back in time where they mock the whole Back to the Future thing. And oh, the line, you know, oh, well, look at, you know, oh, I'm sorry I'm not listening to you, mister. I'm my own grandpa, you know. I don't remember that episode, but I, I might it might have came from this. I don't know. But uh, no, the song is actually apparently from like the 1930s. So this is just kind of like a cover of the song. Yeah, did you know this is based off of, I don't want to say comics, but the, you know, the Stupids are based off a series of children's books. Is it? I didn't look it up to see. Yeah, and it's basically, you know, they, they were characters that, uh, you know, they drew humor from the fact that they couldn't even, like, like do the most um, simple co- concepts and tasks. So that kind of, you know, that, that, that's the reason it was so funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So it's, it's from a group of children books. But uh, yeah, I just love how he's, he's like on this Jerry Springer show where everybody comes up with like controversial things that they've done. He's trying to hold a cover because they're trying to figure out who Sender is or they're trying to like find out. They're, 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 they're stalking this man whose last name is Sender, Charles mm-hmm. Sender. Um, so, you know, to, to I guess cause a ruse, he starts saying, well, I'm my own grandpa. You're your own grandpa. 
he says, uh, yeah, and then he just goes into singing the song. And I love how catchy the song is. And everybody at first just kind of weirded out. And then everyone just joins in singing. Yeah, or they're clapping along, like bobbing their heads back and forth. It, oh, right. It's such a great scene. Yeah, that, that song kind of got stuck in my head as well. Um, but yeah, it's I love that entire thing where even on the other side you have uh petunia and joan on the other side of like this movie or this uh tv set and Mm -hmm. they're basically interrupting this uh talk show with the audience cues where somebody's telling this like terrible story of how they got fired and everything and petunia is flicking the audience you know applaud signs on and off so people are just applauding to her like losing her job and everything right right and oh yeah that um yeah that, that the thing i like about this movie is that um it never lets up on how stupid its subjects are and i like for one fleeting moment like um i don't want to see san i don't want to say sanity but rationality comes into the brain of one of the characters when um stanley stupid goes goes to give his car mouth to mouth and uh he gets oh, a, yeah. he gets an electric shot for a few seconds like what am i doing I'm bringing my family into this uh this conspiracy that could get us all killed. That makes Why absolutely I... no sense. It's based on absolutely nothing logical whatsoever. Right. And then uh then the shock wears off and then he's back to being stupid and he he, <laughs> he gets the keys from uh, his cartoon dog. Which oh, I didn't quite didn't understand even, that. We didn't even mention the cartoon cat and dog yet. <laughs> right. And then they caught a dog kitty. Yes. Did you notice that? <laughs> I did. And the cat doesn't have a name. They never refer to the cat or by anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I that's so random. Like this movie. This movie is WTF royalty because like everything in it is just so random and off the top and just like um not off the top. I don't know the word I'm looking for, but uh yeah. So like there's the cartoon dog that uh you know roughs when something is wrong or you know tries to get their attention when something is off. Um, I don't know what the cat does, really. The cat is really just the cat. The cat just kind of exists there, you know. In one right. scene, it kind of just lounges around the house, and the next scene, it shows up, and it's lounging in the pool. It, it It's being a cat. <laughs> yeah, man. The thing, this whole thing starts off with them believing that someone stole their trash. Yes. Which was the garbage truck, man. Like, I like how... And I don't mean to be all scattered all over the all over the place here, folks. But I think to really give this film its WTF rating, we got to pull out different things. I like how uh, when well, this initially... movie is scattered about. So for us to discuss it, we have to be all scattered about for it. Oh man, if you think we scattered now, wait till we get to Southland. Oh God, that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, man. I like how at one point uh, at the garbage uh, dump site, he's like he's he he's in the bush. And um, this wouldn't work in any movie because it really was stupid. He was like half bush, half man. And then, and then at one point, the garbage man turned and look at him and he just stayed still. And the garbage man just stared at him confused. And then they just drive off. And I like how in his own flashback in his mind, it worked. Like yeah, they, just they didn't saw notice bush. him at all. <laughs> they just saw bush. <laughs> and then you just see him pop out like, like he's like he was hidden the whole time. I wonder what was going on in that garbage truck man's head. Like, what, what is this guy doing? Never mind. Let's just get back to work. <laughs> Probably something like, along the lines of, I am not paid enough for this. 
Like let let him have fun, whatever. Let him have fun with the dump. Uh yeah. man, that's so funny. Um, what do you think of the final uh <laughs> the final um showdown? Uh once again, it, it's slapstick at its finest. I absolutely loved it. I was rolling with some of those scenes. Uh, the son like trying to help in thinking that he's lifting the crate as it's going up on the crane to be lifted himself. Like <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, him, yeah. you know, trying to remember I'm, I'm in the middle of the, the, you know, or I'm boxed in. I'm in the one part of the box. I'm you're cornered. I'm cornered. That's the word. Thanks, honey. <laughs> I like how uh, the the, um, the mother gets down and she's like, oh, there's so much fire and stuff. Be careful, kids. She grabs um, uh, one of the flamethrowers. Oh, the flamethrower. <laughs> and then she starts like 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 putting more like flame on the fire. She's like, this is the worst fire extinguisher ever. Yeah, it's oh, th- this movie is just pure classic slapstick. And I love every bit of it. Dude, uh, the whole thing with Floyd's deli. Where she calls them up, uh, trying to get, just trying to like find out where her husband is and trying to make sure he's safe. And then the deli guy says like, "Hey, no problem. We'll we'll take care of everything, you know, because he thinks they just want a large order because she forgot to cook." Mm-hmm. And then um, when he shows up at the end, like you guys, you didn't put anything past me. And then he says, "Oh man, you must have a great boss." He says, "Yeah, Floyd is a pretty good boss." No, Lloyd. Says no, no. My 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 boss's name is Floyd. It's pronounced Lloyd, and the guy just looks at her like, "What?" (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's oh, there's so many weird callbacks in this movie that it makes to itself. It yeah, man. Um, I think everybody did. Everyone actually did great in this movie. Tom Roddle and Jessica Lundy as Stanley and Joan. Mm -hmm. The Joan, the kid actors were pretty good too. Dude, this is the same kid from Little Rascals, ain't it? It is. It, this is um, Bug what Hall. was his name in Little Rascals? I, I'm blanking Alfalfa. on it. Alfalfa. That's it. Yeah, yeah. He's a he. He was a pretty good actor, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Everyone did well in this movie, man. For how stupid it was and the material they had. This movie bombed back in the day. Um, but yeah, I, actually, I saw the reviews for it and I was like, oh my God. But then I remembered slapstick humor isn't for everybody. This is a very like niche group of like comedy. I I know you could say that, but then again, didn't Dumb and Dumber do well? Uh, Dumb and Dumber uh, initially bombed critically. It, it just got a cult mm. following after its release. Fair enough, fair enough. I guess you're right, fair enough. You know, um, slapstick usually doesn't do well in theaters, and then it mm-hmm. usually finds a home on, like, media in some form, whether it's VHS, DVD, whatever was around at the time. Right, I got you. Yeah. Yeah, this is a great stupid movie. Um, In the realm of things, I would give this a 4 out of 5. Oh, yeah. Th- this is a 4.5 out for me. This one... I loved this movie. I was rolling, you know, 95% of this movie I was rolling and the other 5% I couldn't breathe. You know, it, it this was that kind of movie. Uh, it's incredibly stupid. I'm not going to say that this is like a well thought out movie by any means, but the comedy is so perfect in it that I absolutely love this one. 
Yo, I, the comedic timing is um is is second to incredible. Like there's a mo- like there's a moment where um uh Joan Stupid <laughs> she comes out <laughs> she comes out of a wig shop <laughs> and, nothing, <laughs> and nothing but wigs and she stands next to the officers like uh like afternoon officers you know they ignore her. And and this is a point over- where she thinks that the police are after her because they kidnapped her kids. Right. And then, you know, they ignore her. And then she runs across and then she stands in front of the police station like, got him. And then yeah. she just runs in. I just love that, man. That, that, that oh, was, and then when she runs funny. into her kids, you know, you know, no, I'm your mother. Your mom's a Sasquatch lady. <laughs> you know, and this is, uh, you know, Buster saying this to uh, Petunia. You know, as right. if they don't have the same mother. It's, it's some of the jokes are like layered, that right. it it's there and it's like oh that's funny, but then you think on it more, it's like oh that's even stupider than it should be. <laughs> right, like when they're in the um when they're in the Chinese uh food the Chinese cuisine restaurant and uh the waiter's like may I rep- may I uh suggest the cashew chicken? You'll get the cash. We get our parents and don't call us chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's right, because the delivery, or they had somebody uh, giving out flyers and leaving them at doors, so they're like, whoever left this wanted us to find this note, and it's just a menu for this Chinese restaurant. (laughs) Right, man. Uh, Man, this is such a stupid movie. Oh, I gotta mention one more thing. Uh, When he's talking to Charles Sender, and he's a little lost, Charles Sender is lost trying to get home, and Stanley is like, you didn't think I'd catch you, but I did. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Could you help me? Uh, uh, could you help me get back on the right track? He's yeah. talking about getting home, and Stanley is like, "Well, if you go straight and you see the light, you can't fi- you can't mix it." <laughs> he says, yeah. "Thank you, sir. I will take your advice." Right, and so he thinks that he beat uh, Sender, who's been right. stealing everybody's mail. That he's been intertwined in this conspiracy. I love that he still thinks that that's the conspiracy that he's figuring out when he's literally in the middle of like weapons dealings from the U.S. government. Yeah, man, this is just such a stupid movie. It is like <laughs> but it's it's stupid just... in the best ways possible. Yeah, it's, it's it's really in the name. Yeah, did you know like a lot of directors kind of had cameo roles in this movie, like um, Dave, David Cronenberg uh norman jewison it's like a lot of like a lot of like directors i guess that were hot around that time but yeah i did notice that uh he had his son max landis in here um at when his you know son was just a little kid he was the one doing graffiti that right yeah you know got covered in paint that was his son and Mm -hmm. i recognized him right away and i was like wait is that that is max landis isn't it and then I was like, oh, yeah, John Landis, this is Mac. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right, man, you uh, ready to move on to this next one? Because I feel like this this, this is going to take up most of the episode, I think. Um, No, no, I am not ready to do this next movie at all. <laughs> all right, folks, well, let's move on to the next one. Next one here, we got a 2006 film from uh, director Richard Kelly, uh, director Donnie Darko called southland tales uh if i could sum this all up in in a sentence man i i really say end of the world uh 
amnesiac uh, uh, popular actor who's married to somebody who's can't remember anything, but now has a relationship with a porn star turned activist. Then there's a cop uh, who has a twin brother who is related to neo-Marxists. We got cars humping each other. We got Justin Timberlake lip syncing the killers. Uh, yeah, let's just it's just let's just just get into it. I, I think that's a perfect uh, summary. We don't need to talk any more about this movie because that that <laughs> that cleared all of it up. Dude, this movie is crazy, man. So the the loose plot of this because I think we would spend too much time going into everything because this movie is like as crazy and weird as it is. It's just so dense with its details. That's the thing about Richard Kelly, which I'll get into later. But anyway, so um, The Rock, which I believe, in my opinion, is probably one of his best roles. I'll get into that later. Okay. Um, he plays Boxer Santero. So, like I said, he he's an action star who is, who is amnesiac. He doesn't remember much of his past. Um, all he knows is that he woke up in some in some border of California, Mexico. No, he he woke up in Mexico and crossed the border back into L.A. And he's being um, there. There is there is a search for him that is being done by his mother-in-law, who is this very powerful woman uh, played by Miranda Richardson. She most of the time you see her in this film, she's surrounded by television screens looking for him. And I think they run U.S. ident, which is kind of like a a big brother. It keeps constant surveillance on citizens. Yeah, it's a Um, full surveillance system that monitors all of somebody's uh, activities, their internet usage, uh, blocks them from anything that the U.S. deems inappropriate. Basically, this is like the Chinese firewall U.S. edition. Right. So um, he's in a relationship now with Krista, hint, hint, now, uh, like her, her name is Kristen now, but uh, she's an adult film star who's working on a reality TV show. Um, and she's also, you know, them together, they're working on a script and uh, the script has some mystery to it and some truth to it as far as like some conspiracy conspiracies about what's going on. This is a post World War Three society, uh, pretty much. And there's like a big election about to go down and there's a lot of political social not social political there's a lot of political tension going on and krista now is um in cahoots with some um i want to say is it would it be neo-marxist or is that the right term for them um yeah i guess so because they were kind of looking to take down the government taking down like u.s ident right and kind of return everything back to how it was prior to the this universe is world war three right right okay yeah so they're they're working with them and um but it turns out you know as the film goes on the neo-marxists are working with uh uh roland tavener who um he's a police officer uh well he's a guy that's posing as a police officer uh who has a identical twin brother and um, he is working for the neo-Marxist group uh, who has uh, kidnapped and drugged his brother. So he's working for them pretty much. So, uh, oh, no, he actually was an officer. My bad. Uh, yeah. But his his mind is a little loopy because he doesn't remember much things. 
Uh, so anyway, he yeah, he's um, also having like amnesia, just like uh, Santos is, which was Dwayne's character. Right, right, right. Uh, so he he goes over to Boxer Santero's uh, Dwayne's character. Um, and, you know, Dwayne is being uh, Boxer is being told that he's uh, filming him for, you know, research for their film, you know, filming a police officer for research. And, you know, he's he's telling him like these crazy like racist like responses to his questions to kind of like throw him off and to seem like a really like badass cop. Um, anyway, they come to this like little they come to like this little little spat between these two um, actors so to speak, it's Amy Poehler and Wood Harris. Yeah, uh, which is to say that they are acting in a way to get like it on camera that they died, so right. that they'll have footage that a racist cop killed these like innocent people that were just having like a marital dispute. Right. This movie is so dense and and just yeah, crazy it, at the same time. A lot of it doesn't make sense too. You know, it's it, that's the thing about this movie. I. Uh, trust me, I'll get into it. Okay, because because I actually know the background behind this. Um, Wallace Shawn, we'll just take a back seat uh, sideways. So Wallace Shawn plays Baron von Westphalen. So he's kind of like kind of like the uh, what do you what do you call a Steve Jobs or a uh, uh, like that entrepreneur, who, like that uh, entrepreneur, innovator. Um, he, he he created this thing like um where he uses ocean waves to create a source of power. Yeah, it's uh and infinite or what is it? Perpetual motion. Perpetual motion. Um so he, there's that and then there's his girlfriend who um who was very played by Ba Ling who is a uh, serpentine is her name. Uh she's very ambiguous and very mysterious. So anyway, that's what we got so far. Um you know, the thing about Richard Kelly, dude, if you look at something like Donnie Darko, which to me is a great movie. Um, oh, yeah, I'd, you, I'd go in and say the same. Donnie Darko is a good movie. I wouldn't say it's like a the greatest movie out there, but it's a good movie. It's a great movie when you take in all of his mystery, all of his enigmatic, um, uh, you know, sense and everything. When you watch the director's cut, it kind of takes a lot of mystery away, but you still enjoy it. Um, you look at that movie, you look at a movie like The Box with Cameron Diaz. Richard Kelly is a I'm, I'm, I'm going to say he's a talented director, but he's very ambitious, sometimes a little ambitious past his budget or his ideas can kind of be a little bit more ambitious than his audience is willing to, like, kind of understand. Southland Tales, for all of his craziness, is a very long, ambitious movie. Like this, this movie has a lot of great thought provoking, strange ideas to it. You yeah, can tell a lot of great plot lines in it. it right. The problem is they continually switch between these plot lines with the characters and try and like intermeld them in a way that just doesn't make sense. Like you have the story of uh, Boxer Santanos where it starts off where he's just trying to like get research for this movie and then he gets intertwined into the neo-Marxists and this leads him to this like dinner party where he meets all these people that like control the government and then he finds out that he's actually been working for uh, right. it, who is it? The Baron who mm -hmm. created the whole thing with uh, using waves 
but it turns out that he's actually been creating space-time portals by using perpetual motion because it's causing the Earth to slow down its rotation. Like, it just keeps going crazy. And that's just the story of Boxer Santeros. Uh, then you still have the thing going on with uh, Kristen now and her whole legion of neo-Marxists going on. You have the story right. of the brother Ronald or Roland, Roland going on and, you know, him just trying to figure out everything that's going on and then finding his brother is, you know, kidnapped and stuff like that. And it's just it, the movie just-, just keeps going and it doesn't take a time to stop, and it keeps interweaving everything in the ways that don't make sense. Let me ask you something. Do you feel like you you dropped into a middle? Do you feel like you dropped into the middle of a story when you watched this movie? Um, like you dropped. I, I feel like I dropped into like an acid trip that I didn't take the acid for. <laughs> Dude, let me tell you the background on this story. So Richard Kelly, when he first started writing this script and going into like pre-production for this. He realized that this whole universe he created of like a post World War Three society was like like very large and like had like it was like a deep universe. So and this is what I mean. He's an ambitious dude. Like he was kind of ahead of his time at the time this was made. Like I want to say around 2005. This was I know it released in 2006, but I think it was made around 2005 or maybe around there. He thought you know what, let's make three graphic novels. It's kind of like the prequel stories for this film. That way we have, that way we can like have everything centered around these characters and how they got to this point. And then people can watch the movie. The thing was the graphic novels weren't really marketed that well. And at the time, no one's going to read graphic novels in 2006 before to go see a movie or as Mm -hmm. tight official tie-ins to the movie. So like um, that's why all the chapters are listed four, five, and six instead of one, two, three. Um, so anyway, they bring this film unfinished to a Kane's Film Festival, and so at the festival he's he's giving out like a hundred or so copies of like the first graphic novel to the film, which starts off with chapter four, and everybody's confused. Dude, this film gets booed. Like this film, this film got booed heavy at Kane's, and right. this was like an unfinished version of this film. Well, this is that's like almost finish. impressive on its own because I think we've talked about yeah. it before. And it's like when it comes to the shows, you know, when a movie gets a standing ovation, it's kind of like, well, yeah, that's that's the standard. You know, that's nothing special, right? To get booed at Kane's, that says something. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, long story short, there are like three graphic novels out there that that serve as like the preludes to this film. But I'm like, I never read the novels, but I'm like, if you don't read those graphic novels or read a synopsis of them, this film makes no fucking sense. Like you can follow what's going on. You you see it in front of you, but like putting it all together is kind of like a maze and, and doesn't quite, doesn't make much sense. But apparently the graphic novels, you know, they explain what happened to boxer out in Mexico. They explain the thing with, um, uh, What's the officer's name? I keep I, Sean William Scott's character and his twin brother. Uh, you're explain, talking about Roland Taverner? Yeah. Uh, Ro- Roland and Ronald. Yeah. Roland yeah. and Ronald. They explained that. Um, yeah. It was just. This is what I mean by too much ambition. Like graphic novels were a great thing and it was a great idea. But again, he was kind of ahead of the curve with that. And that's why I, I feel like that's why the film failed 
one because people couldn't really understand it's a very it's a very tough film to get through especially with with its wackiness and over the top uh over the topness mm-hmm. but yeah like th- there were a lot of things that went into the making of this film where you know Richard Kelly was very like like passionate about this movie and passionate about putting everything into it he's just like his his ambition his ambition kind of overclouded his uh his work i guess if that makes sense yeah the the best way to describe watching this movie is you have three puzzles in front of you and you have none of the boxes and you're trying to solve all three puzzles at the same time. It's There's just so much information in front of you constantly coming at you that it's hard to discern what's important and what isn't. And the movie to me just ended up just getting so garbled that things would happen and I'd go, okay, I, okay. You know, none of this is processing anymore. This is just pictures are moving going on. on the screen. I don't know what's going on, but I'll just roll with it. I came this far. Pretty much. Like, like, listen, man, this is your first time watching this. This is like my second time. The first time I watched this, I was really like, okay, oh, Dwayne Johnson's in this movie. This movie wasn't advertised enough. I wonder, I wonder how this is. Oh, the guy that made Donnie Darko made this. I watched it, got done watching it. Okay, I, now I know why this movie wasn't advertised yeah, enough. I, I know <laughs> like why you. nobody's talking about this movie, because nobody knows how to talk about this movie. No one knows how to talk about this movie. Look, man, uh, before we get into the meat and, tomato, meat and uh, potatoes, um, there are some pretty great, like, well-directed scenes in this movie. Like, I like the Justin Timberlake lip, lip-sync and the killer sequence. I like that when he takes the drug and he goes into that little, like... Um, like a little like woozy drug sequence where he's like, he's singing a song and you got all the women dancing around him. I like how after Rebecca Del Rio sings uh, the national anthem, there's that, uh, there's that one moment like towards the end when the ice cream truck is lifting and uh, you know, like the rock is dancing on stage with uh, Sarah Michelle Geller and Mandy Moore like that's like a beautiful sequence like there are beautiful moments in this movie mm-hmm. but it's like when you don't really comprehend the meaning behind these moments or what kind of led into them it leaves much to be desired yeah there's a lot of very good direction in here but Dude, it's it's a well-directed mess is the best way to describe it one of the few movies that actually put john lovitz in a very like like creepy role man yes like this dude shows up as a police officer i'm like oh john levis this is gonna be funny but he just he just he just came off like very serious yeah, when he no came jokes up, like, at all he just comes in no i'll help you with this investigation and then he shoots two you, people and then that's the end of his scene i think you need some backup yeah and then, and then he comes in he shoots the guys and i love how the one dude he's just like delayed he's like oh oh and he shoots the fake blood effects. I oh, think he yeah. Shoots <laughs> he misses his window. And um, and that wasn't even his last scene. I think his last scene was coming back with old girl when they were trying to hunt down the hunt down. Oh, Krista. that's right. Yes. Right. Yeah. And um, and, and, and yeah, like this was the one movie where I'm like, dude, he looks like he looks menacing in this movie, mm-hmm. man. Like no jokes at all. He not even his classic John Lovett's voice. And uh, I like how at one point he stands behind um, uh, Zora uh, and he's like, uh, you want to fuck or watch a movie? 
because he's in love with the girl. <laughs> and then, like he just says it like so menacingly. Um, I love how the one guy who was doing the blood effects he has said to uh, the lead the lead Marxist girl like, "Hey, um, I kind of don't want to be attached to any of this, so can I go home?" Oh yeah. <laughs> like, there's some states. there are some funny scenes with this, and it's just, but oh, the the rest of this movie is just it's hard to get through. I got to admit, this was a hard one to get through. All right, man. Time to get to the uh, meat and potatoes of what makes this WTF. Uh, Let me get to the uh, top moment, dude. Now, this is why I love The Rock in this movie, because he sincerely looks like a man that doesn't know what's going on. And I don't think that's Dwayne Johnson. I think that's him, like, really sinking into the role of a Mm -hmm. guy that just like when he does like this and he gets his hands get nervous and he starts talking to himself. I really believe like he's freaking out. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like, I, I really believe, like, he doesn't know what's going on. And I like this one scene where the one woman, I guess she works at the place where his mother-in-law has been looking for him. And she's she's really sunk into the script that he co-wrote. I like how she meets up with him at one point And uh, she says, I, I want to suck your cock. If I don't suck oh, your yeah. cock right now, I'll blow my brains out. I will kill myself. Right. And they're in the middle of a beach. This is a packed right. beach, and she's just screaming this. Uh, this is where Justin Timberlake <laughs> uh, uses a sniper rifle to take her out. Um, and that's the kind of movie this is. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, uh, yeah, he takes her out. And I, I love how just, you know, he's a, he, he switches into this persona, this character he wrote in the script. And then he immediately comes out of it when she threatens to kill herself, starts doing the like finger twitchy thing because he's like, okay, what do I do here? This is getting a little scary. And um, I like how towards the end, he keeps repeating the phrase, uh, I'm a pimp and pimps don't commit suicide. Oh, that's right. Because he was told that he, so this is after it's revealed that uh, he's like a double from the future that got sent back in time through one of these time warps. And a part of it was his present self committed suicide. So there weren't two of him. Right. And so he's doing this whole, no, I would never commit suicide. I'm a pimp. Pimps don't kill themselves. Right. It's like, like, whatever. Yeah. I I don't know what that means, but like, whatever. Yeah. Apparently, Kevin Smith was in this movie. Did you notice? He him? was. I recognized his voice as soon as he. T- I didn't recognize him. He played the old man. Like as soon as uh, the Rock got out of that elevator, and he's like pointing the gun. He was the old man that was like, "Put down your side piece. Put down your side piece. Listen to me. Put down." <laughs> and I was. I remember seeing the scene and going, "I recognize the voice." I recognize that voice. Why do I recognize that voice? And who was talking later? I was like, that's Kevin Smith. And I immediately Googled Kevin Smith, uh, Southland tales. And it came up right away. I was like, dead on. (laughs) They were just, they were just the most random people in this movie. Like, um, Janine Garofalo was like in a one like cameo scene. Um, I, I think she had more scenes in the movie, but they were cut by the time they finished and sent this movie out. Uh, Will Sasso is in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christopher Lambert, Highlander, is driving the ice cream truck. You know oh, what I'm yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just so many, like, random people. Like, like they just play random roles in this movie. Um, and, dude, that whole sequence at the end with the ice cream truck. I remember I was watching this movie, and I was like, 
man, there's something really important happening here, but I just don't understand it. You know, oh, like for me, I was already so checked out. I was like, yeah, yeah, that seems about right for now. That's it, it makes no sense, but I I accept it at this point. Like the dudes like holding their hands and like all of a sudden the ice cream truck starts levitating the guy on top, which made no sense, like shot the missile in, inside the place where all the rich people were, including including the rocks character. And then, you know, it's just like. And again, pimps don't commit suicide. Yeah, which which this movie is being narrated by JT this whole time because oh why yeah, not? Justin Timberlake doing the most monotone, boring voiceover I've ever heard in a movie before. I don't think it was that bad. I, it it, it but, sounded like they had a gun to his head and they were just like read the script, and he was just like, okay. So you're probably wondering what's going on here, aren't you? Well, this is a story about how a man that has no idea about his memories got intertwined with a neo-Marxist group. Like, it's such a monotone, boring, like, there's no excitement. And it it almost comes off as funny in some scenes because of how boring the voiceover is versus what's going on. That it almost comes off as comical, but then you realize, no, it's not meant to be funny. This is funny because it's just that bad and mixed for what they're going for. I'll be real here, man. I kind of took it as him just like, 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 hey, read this script, but read it gruff. It was post-World War III. Everyone had lost hope. Uh, Boxer Santeros found himself on the edge of California. I, that's how I felt Justin Timberlake was reading the script. And I was like, uh, okay. And then you kept hearing that same tone the whole film, even through kind of like, I guess, like kind of upbeat moments. You were like, dang, he's still holding the grave tone, huh? And then like, later, never uh, changed. Christian Bale heard that and was like, there's my Batman voice. I got it. That That's what we're doing. <laughs> uh, I got you. I got you. Um, any more moments you want to single out, man? I'm trying to think because I know there's a lot in this movie. Oh yeah, the car humping scene. Uh, what'd you oh What'd you think, man? Um, I I was I was confused as to what was going on because it just cuts right to this like animated car, and then it just basically goes to a sex scene between two cars, and then it zooms out. And it's like it's a commercial for the what was it Trier's vehicle, which Trier is the villainous company in this movie, right? And it's just like, what is what is this movie? This is insane. Because that happens fairly early in the movie, if I recall correctly. Yeah, like it was a commercial that was on TV and it, and somebody was watching the television. And uh, that, that was the commercial that was on. Yeah. Yeah, it needs to be mentioned that this movie continually goes to the point of uh, U.S. ident, like viewing from them, where they're watching right. all TV, all people, everything. So you'll see basically these screens of just multiple monitors where you're seeing like people, commercials, uh, different things going on, cameras, like street corners, everything. And it will get these weird little snippet breaks where they just show us random nonsense, like the car sex commercial for some reason. Mm -hmm. I wanted to bring up a funny exchange like, when Boxer Santeros is finally reunited with his wife, uh, Madeline Santeros, played by Mandy Moore, 
who is the daughter of Senator Bobby Frost, who's trying to run for re-election and whose wife is like the main villain of the film running U.S. Ident. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how at one point she has a copy of one of the porn stars videos like uh, Cock Chuggers 2. Are you kidding me? Cock oh, yeah. Chuggers 2. <laughs> and then Boxer thinks for me, he says, hey, hey, can I see that tape? No, <laughs> no, you can't see the tape. <laughs> and I like how the one guy uh, who's like the, the senator's advisor is like, uh, like I, get, I think he says uh, uh, Ghost Chuckers 2. She's like, I'm not in that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And then one of the porn directors uh, happens to be, I, I don't know if they're like a part of the, the Marxist group, but they're part of the organization to destroy U.S. Ident. That whole that whole storyline was a little confusing. I just figured he was a part of the neo-Marxist group with the porn stars. No, not he. It's a she. Um, home, uh, Nora Dunn. She used to be on SNL. Uh, but she she's like a porn director, and she was like talking with... Um, uh, Kristen Niles character but you know they they turned out to be a part of uh the company they turned out to be a part of U.S. IDEF that wanted to take down U.S. IDEF they might have been working with the Marxists I'm not sure oh, okay another weird scene I want to say it's like right before the scene I mentioned like Boxer ends up in a in a library or something and then he comes across uh Wallace Shawn's character Baron Von Westphalen and this other like weird looking lady and um, they start talking about his script and they're like, yes, your script is very interesting. And it's like, it's such a weird, creepy scene. But I'm like, this is like, this feels like a scene from a whole nother movie. Yeah. You know, like, there like, were like, a couple like, scenes like that, too, where it just felt like it was out of place in this movie. Like, this is a well, it's like you said, this is a well-directed, like, mess. Mm-hmm. Like the pieces really don't form the whole when you look at this film. But I I gotta say, I don't hate this movie. I love how over the top do I would I watch it every day? No. But what I, I mean say if you watch I, it every day, eventually you might understand it. So there would be a positive to that. Eventually you, you would create your own meaning, like, I get it now. Yeah, I understand. That's what that that's what that meant. Um but I mean, I think for what it is. It's it's not it's it's not a total bad movie. Um, I would honestly give it a three. Um, I I'm on the opposite spectrum. I did not enjoy this movie. Um, I did not think it was a good movie. I was just confused and hoping that eventually it would end. About after I'd say about I gave this movie a solid forty five minutes of just going okay. It's it's gonna kick in. There's. It, maybe I'm just missing some context here. It's going to kick in. And then after that, I was just like, you know what? Eventually the credits are going to roll. If I can just make it until the credits roll, I think I'll survive. And then it got to the point where I was like, you know what? If as long as, you know, it, oh, it's still going. Why is it still going? Yeah, it really is an overlong movie. This movie is like two hours and a half. No, it's not. No, it's well, it's two it, hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, it's about two and a half hours, um, but it feels like seven or eight. So, you know, we, we've talked about how like the Batman was a three hour movie that didn't feel like a three hour movie. Uh, this was a two and a half hour movie that felt like it lasted eight, maybe even 12 hours. And I mm, the best praise I can give this is it, it does have a lot of well-directed scenes. It is a very well-directed mess 
but it's still a mess and it makes no sense. And even the scenes that do make sense don't make sense in this movie. <laughs> so what, what do you, what do you give it? Uh, I, I had to give it like a one, maybe a 1.5 because like some mm. of the actors were good. It, the direction was good, but just everything else around it was just no. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Look, man, I watched this movie with a with with a little bit of a stomach bug. And when I watched it, I was like, okay, I remember this movie is a little weird. But then when I settled into it, I was like, all right, 30 minutes in. Okay, I got two more hours of this weirdness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I gotta like shift my position every 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 20 seconds because my body is aching. Oh, this must be what torture is. You, you sure that was a stomach bug and that wasn't just the movie making you do that? <laughs> No, it was it was the stomach bug because like, again, like my second time watching it, I guess the initial shock wore off and I kind of knew what to expect. I said, OK, this is a weird movie. Let me see if I can decipher kind of what's going on here. And I kind of I did. You know, it was like when you watch Donnie Darko the second or third time, and you kind of catch on to certain things. Again, same director. You, you, mm. there, there are a lot of things playing at hand that are bigger than the movie. You just kind of have to focus and, and find out what it is. Again, like I said, his ambitions sometimes cloud his work, but uh, Richard Kelly is kind of a unique director. Um, that being said, man, I think this belongs on the WTF scale. Uh, I guess if we do the the verses, the stupids came out as the winner this time around. Uh, yes, the stupids definitely wins out over Southland Tales, which is both high praise for the stupids and doesn't really mean much when we're putting it up against Southland Tales. <laughs> yeah, it's just a very grim movie. It's a grim movie. Like, uh, I, I can understand how two hours and 30 minutes of, like, you know, Marxist groups, corrupt politicians, I can get how that can get a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a unique movie, man. I, I think it's unique for what it is. It, um, it is a unique movie, and I can say, like... It, if you were to read the synopsis to me, I'd be like, oh my God, that sounds like a great movie. But yeah. it just, it, like the synopsis is there. The plot is there. The story just isn't. Right, right, right. I get what you're saying. I, I get what you're saying. Um, you seen anything lately? Um, I did finally watch uh, Peacemaker and I finished that series. Oh yeah, okay. I think last time I talked to you, you said you started it, but yeah. so now, now you finished it. So I have think, finished it. Does it lead into any? We don't have to give spoilers, but does it leave it lead into anything big? Anything we should should we watch it before we watch anything next in DC or? Um, I don't think so. I think this pretty much has its own like standalone story. Uh, okay. so if you decide to skip it, I highly recommend checking it out because it, the show is hilarious and it's. It's a really fun show. I can say that. Like, if you enjoyed the Suicide Squad, uh, you'll enjoy Peacemaker because it's more of the same, just focusing solely on Peacemaker. Okay. Yeah, I heard good things. I heard good things. I, um, dude, I recently saw this uh, very short British miniseries called Time with uh, Sean Bean and uh, Stephen Graham. Sean Bean doesn't die. All right. So let's just let me get that out the way. I know okay. he always 
I know there's always the stigma that he's oh he dies in everything he's in. He doesn't die in this one. Are you sure um, you finished the series? I'm pretty sure. Oh, last okay. time I checked, last time I checked out, I ended episode three and that was the last one. Um, but it's pretty great, man. It's about um Sean Bean plays a uh person who just who has just been uh sent to prison for a um uh, a crime he committed and uh he's adjusting to life in the prison and uh Stephen Graham plays a uh prison guard pretty much uh the prison guard c- captain who um gets entangled with uh one of the prisoners who is threatening to uh bring some harm to his son who just got in prison in another um facility it's a pretty good show man it's called time uh if you can find it anywhere uh it's a very very like short watch like i said three episodes mm-hmm. and it's a very well done is it on a streaming service or i don't know i have to look that up really okay um but i know uh when i caught it I, you know I, I just caught it out there uh it, it was uh it was pretty good uh on top of that i finally caught a24's latest film red rocket how was that one? Um, that one was actually pretty good, man. It was different from what I expected. It's made by the same guy that made the Florida Project. I don't know if you remember that movie. I remember that movie that very vaguely. That was the kind of one that came around the same time as like Project X or whatever, right? Nah, 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 nah. Way after that. It was one of the recent ones. Uh, it had William Defoe in it. Um, it had that little girl that everyone liked that starred in the movie. Uh, I mean, you know, if, if you saw it, it came on around 2017. Oh, yes, I recognize. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, same director. Um, really good, man. I, I would recommend it. I think it's a, I think it's a nice odd a 24 movie. Um, it's director, uh, has, has met like the Florida project in its own way. It was kind of like a beautiful, odd movie. Um, but this one is about a guy. He, uh, he's a former porn star. He returns to his hometown in Texas. Um, nobody pretty much wants him back cause he's just annoying. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he, he comes there and, uh, he, he tries, he, he, he's living with his, um, his wife cause they're still legally married. Uh, in her um, her mother-in-law while trying to hustle and get some money together. Um, he he meets this young girl and kind of starts like an inappropriate relationship with her. And it just shows how this guy he's he's not. He's not really like a a great protagonist by any means, but he's um he's very compelling in that, you know, again, he, he's just a guy that's uh how do I best explain this? Uh He's a hustler, but his ambitions, <laughs> kind of like Richard Kelly, his ambitions kind of cloud his effort. You know, he he he's always looking for the next scam, the next move, the next way to get back to the top. And it's hard for me to explain this movie because it's such a it's such a crazy movie to kind of like like summarize. You kind of have to just watch it. Okay. Yeah, but um, Simon Rex, who's in the lead role, does a great job. He's a dude from Scary Movie 3 that was like kind of parodying. He, he, he was kind of like being a parody of Eminem from 8 Mile. I don't know if you remember that movie. I, I remember that movie, but I can't picture that scene specifically. You know him if you search for him. Oh, yeah. Any, anyway, uh, 
Yeah, man, I would uh, I would recommend you watch that movie. It's a pretty nice, uh, weird, unique A24 movie. All right. Typically A24, like, knockouts. Um, I can't think of many A24 movies I didn't enjoy. I think if I really thought hard about it, I could find some duds. But like, right. most I know of the that time, there are some because I remember seeing some movies and going, wow, A24 really picked that one up. And but off the top of my head, I can't think of what they are right now. Mm hmm. Gotcha. But yeah. um, Yeah, man, I would say very well done movie. There's it's a very. um, It's a very complicated like there's a very morally complicated protagonist at the center of the story, but uh, that's what kind of makes it interesting too to see like what where this is all going, what what, what comes next. But uh, I, I would recommend it, dude. Okay. Uh, other than that, man, that's pretty much it for me. So I think that wraps up this episode. All right. Uh, all right, guys. We'll see you on the next one. And remember, pimps don't commit suicide.